Welcome fellow horror hounds and welcome to the latest episode of Talk and Stalk, your unholy home for horror. I'm your host as always, Barry, and I have a special guest and co-host today, uh, a friend and fellow film buff, the diabolical Darren. Hiya mate, how's it going? It's good to be here. Glad to have you on board. Um, I thought Darren would be great for this podcast. Um, the movie that we're actually going to focus on today um, is Dario Argento's directorial debut, released in 1970, The Bird with the Crystal Plumage. Now, I think this is probably the first giallo I ever actually saw. I was probably about maybe 16, 17 years old when I first watched this movie. This is the movie that really kind of got me into um, Giallo. Uh, how about yourself, Darren? Well, I remember watching the, one of the first Argento films I saw was Tenebrae. Mm -hmm. And that must have been going back to the middle 2000s. Yeah. I then progressed quickly on to Suspiria. And then I think this may have been the third Dario Argento film I ever saw. Okay, Tenebrae is a good one to start with, though. Um, I was quite blessed with that. I think that's ideal. You know, I think this one could be one to start with as well, yeah. looking in hindsight, but I think I was quite blessed. Yeah, because Tenebrae was really, because that was released in 82, wasn't it? And that was kind of like the golden age of Giallo had kind of, you know, Giallo had kind of died down at that point. Yeah, um, it was getting more into, like, slasher. Yeah. The Giallo genre was turning more into straight-up slasher. You had... New York Ripper. Yeah. Uh, you had Maniac, obviously not, not a giallo, but uh, from 1980. And it was going more along the gore lines. Yeah, definitely. But, um, yeah, I think that's a good place to start for me. Yeah, The Bird with the Crystal Plumage. Um, you know, it's not the first giallo. It's not the first film of its kind. But it's a film that certainly played a very important part in the evolution of giallo. Um, it certainly did a great job of popularising uh, giallo. Um you know, and firmly cementing Dario Argento on the uh, on the horror map, and it's very much this film that actually um, ha basically had him described as kind of the Italian Hitchcock. Well, the, with, with this film, there was obviously, as you know, Blood and Black Lace from nineteen sixty four, Mario Bava classic, yeah. And then you went, I think, five six years when you had sort of um, inheritance type Jali, yeah. Uh, like Memory Lost Jarley, uh, uh, going up until, say, 1969. And then Dario took from Blood and Black Lace and sort of put it into a more updated version, if you like, for the time. And I think this film you could watch today, even though it's dated, it's not half as dated as a lot of films of the time. No. It's quite stylish and quite modern looking, even now. It is. It's a film that holds up remarkably well, actually, I think. It, it, it's very deftly directed by Argento, and uh, it's quite the debut. It's quite the debut. It's a film that's very stylistically made. I think with this movie, um, it's certainly not as overtly sexual or as brutal as Argento's later films. Um, as I say, it, it's just it's very well made, and yeah, there are definitely you know, uh, Hitchcock echoes there. Now, this also is quite notable. It's the first instalment, isn't it, of what Argento's called his Animal Trilogy, which are three films uh, with literally no connection aside from actually having animals in their title. 
Exactly, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the second one being the Cat of Nine Tales, which was released the following year. And then, of course, Four Flies on uh, on Grey Velvet. Uh, to me, this is hands down the best of them three films. Well, it's funny you should say that. The first time I seen The Bird with Crystal Plumage, I wouldn't say I was lukewarm. Uh, I liked it a lot. But in sort of recent, the last year or so, I've watched it, it must be about three, four times. Yeah. And it's just shot up in my estimation yeah. to where now it doesn't quite make my top five Argento, but it's not far behind, you know? Yeah. I mean, uh, it's actually it's an uncredited adaptation as well, isn't it? Of, it's um, uh, a novel it's... called The Screaming Mimi that was actually made into a film itself, uh, released in 1958. That's right, with Annette uh, Eckbird, Anita Eckbird, I yeah, think it was. That's right, um, yeah. And in that film, which was quite funny, there's a girl that gets uh, stalked in a shower, yeah. and it was a year or two before Psycho. Okay. So it, it had that going for it, but apparently it was not well received from what I've read. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, with, with this film and that as well, um, something that would become very commonplace, something that would uh, become very prevalent in Argento's films is that... Uh, the film actually features an artist as the main character, a writer, and they've had writers, musicians, dancers, singers, paintings. It's a very recurring theme with Argento's films. Yeah, and absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, this kind of set the template for, for many of his films to follow. Um, for example, having a character that recalls clues from memory. He'd done it with, four, I think after this, he'd done it with Four Flies, where you get that scene at the start where everything is quite not what it seems. Yeah. A, a character uh, has to does like... it very well. Yeah. Um, also in Tenebrae, getting back to the film that you mentioned, a character yeah. that feels like they've seen something, but they can't quite put their finger on it. Uh, Deep Red, of course, considered by many to be one of the Argento's best, if not their best. Um, it's a very recurring theme with, with Argento's films. Um, you You've know, kind of got to be on the ball watching it. But then again, you know, if you do see something like like the scene with Deep Red, if yeah. you see that woman, you know, I don't I don't want to go on. Anyone listening to this will know yeah. spoilers anyway. But there's a scene early on in that film where you've got the killer in the mirror. Yeah, yeah. And he doesn't see her. Yeah. That just the old premise of that and Four Flies and this film is superb. And yeah. this is his forte. This is what he does really well. Yeah, because there's no cheats in this film. Mind if you go back, no, the whole, you know, it's all logical. Yeah, which, you, which going on to like further Charlie after this, and you had an imitation, then you had these films. Yeah, a whole slew of them, and there was a lot of cheats in them, and I love that. Anyway, don't get me wrong, I do love that. But he played it straight with this, which is got to be admirable. Yeah, it's it's a very solid thriller and. What I love about Giallo, and, and, and films in general, actually, I'm a big mystery fan. You know, I love slasher films, but I love good mysteries. I love good whodunits. Films that keep you guessing right up until the final reel, you know, as to who the killer is. And, um, you know, with this film, obviously, the lead character, um, his name is actually escaping me, but he's actually witness to what he believes to be an attempted murder. Uh, he's obviously trapped between the, the, the glass and the wall, is it, um, in the yeah. gallery? Yeah. His name's Sam, I think, in the film. Yeah, that's it. And, uh, yeah, he witnesses this attempted murder. The killer flees. 
Um, I, we're gonna go. In, we're gonna go into spoilers. We're gonna preface it um, and actually tell you when the spoilers are coming and that. And then, of course, he he thinks that there's something, some vital piece of information that he's missing that he hasn't actually picked up on. Um, and like a lot of Giallo as well. Um, again, with Argento and that, uh, Argento himself was the hands of the killer, wasn't he, with the black gloves? He done that in all his films. It was yeah. sort of a little nod to Hitchcock. Yeah, obviously, you know, Hitchcock, as we all know, used to have the, the cameo. But for Dario, I think it was more for practical reasons rather than anything else. Yeah, I think yeah, he, he was a small guy, so he had, you know, yeah, small he, he was standing and... in for the killer, wasn't he? For this, yeah, I think this film, you know, in all his films. Yeah, because um, obviously you get that black, you get the shots of the black coat and the the black gloves. I love, like, you know, an early scene on in the film. Where the killer has actually got this collection of knives against this red cloth. Yeah. It's just like a really kind of striking image. Um, and there's a particular shot that I really love is where, and again, it's kind of like, I swear, John Carpenter obviously took cues, you know, took, took, took tribute, if you will, from these films, uh, where the killer has actually stood there at the corner of the shot, just watching the girl go into the house. And very reminiscent Michael Myers' Halloween. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I think there's um, a bit later on in the film as well. There's like an eyeball shot through through a door, which is Black Christmas, Black Christmas. all over. Yeah. But he does the first scene in this film where, like you say, he's stalking this girl. We don't actually see her kill, I don't think, but you can see him stalking this girl. Yeah. It, it's just brilliant. You've got the lullaby, you know, any any old Morricone. Fantastic score. Yeah. The brilliant. lullaby theme is fantastic, yeah. Which, like... Even though Dario went on to fall out with Morricone, I think two or three films later, and in a way that wasn't a bad thing because then we got Goblin. But yeah. then what would Deep Red have been like with Morricone? So we don't. No. I I don't think you could be Gob Goblin for that film, but. Um, no, Goblin. That is a great score. I love their work on Suspiria and Tenebrae as well. Oh yeah, yeah. I um, I even love Sleepless. Oh, yeah, the score to Sleepless is fantastic. We talked about that before. Sleepless is a pretty underrated giallo, I think. That's one I would like to cover at some stage. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm sure we can make that happen. I mean, Ennio Morricone may he rest in peace because he actually passed away last year, didn't he? Um, I think it's well into his nineties, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fantastic career. Um, the music works. You know, just how the whole how each shot is just perfectly framed. You know, it's just really well made. You know, there's it's it's just directed with with a lot of finesse with this movie. And you know, getting back to like you know later giallos and all that. Um, yeah, this isn't one that's overly brutal. It's like you said, the girls, some of the kills are kind of off screen. Um, I think you know the kind of worst death we get, the the most brutal, which is very sadistic really in its nature, is the girl that's killed in her own home, and he's the killer is slicing with the razor constantly. Oh yeah. yeah. Was that um, in the lift? Or... It, actually, yes, it may have been the lift. Yes. And that again, to me, I thought addressed the kill straight away. Yeah. Which Where of course got... is an American-made giallo, isn't it? That yeah. That film is effectively a giallo. So even though Brian De Palma claims he's never seen a giallo in his life, which I find that hard to believe, to be yeah. honest, yeah. he must have. He must have seen that. Yeah. He must have. Yeah. So I mean, this film as well um, as is quite often the case in Giallo's as well. Um, you often get some oddball characters. Now, I actually watch these... I often watch these films, usually English dubbing. Sometimes I'll watch them 
um, you know, Italian with with the subtitles and so forth. And uh, there's one character in particular that <laughs> it's the guy that's the pimp. In so long. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, he went on. He'd done a couple of films for Argento. I think he was in Four Flies, and he'd done his TV show The Tram. Oh, okay. So yeah. he was like, and and he does it well, Argento. He, he likes to put humour in his films, and it does not detract from the fact that it's oh, a thriller. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. But yeah, it's just a bit of comedy relief, yeah. relief sort of thing. It's notable. There's uh, there's a character. Uh, quite late on in the film because the film actually at its core it revolves around a painting later on in the film we come to realize that this painting has some kind of meaning uh one of the victims actually works in an antique shop didn't she and i think she actually uh didn't she sell a painting to uh what we believe to be the killer yeah yeah and yeah. i think that that painting is a massive plot point in it yeah it's it's something that comes back later on yeah and uh, we actually meet well the painter, done. don't we, near the end of the film? And he's his kind of like grizzled character and that. And uh, let's just say that cats. He keeps a lot of cats. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which, again, which Dario does feature a lot of cats in his film. Yeah. He always said he was intrigued because they scared him. Yeah. He obviously loves them, but they scare him and, and all that. And he went on to make The Black Cat, I think, one season, didn't he? Oh, he did. Yes. Yes, he did. Um, so yeah, yeah, there's like a, a scene near the end that kind of makes me kind of yeah, cringe. Um, but this film as well, uh, because, you know, it is very Hitchcockian in its kind of delivery. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's twists there, but this film certainly doesn't throw too many suspects into the mix either. Um, there's a lot of giallos that came later that throw, you know, suspect after suspect. If you've seen Sergio Martino's Torso, which I know yeah. you have... Um, yeah, absolutely. Practically every male in that film is a goddamn suspect. He loves his red herrings. Nice yeah, you know? he does. <laughs> uh, and Dario does it to some degree, but not nowhere near no. as much as them. And and that was a trope that just happened to like all Jalo in the seventies, include like something like Eyeball. Yeah, I think ev everyone in that film is a red herring. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's something that became a trope of the, of the Jalo film. It is. And, it, you know, often it becomes to the point of being nonsensical, like completely implausible. But you know what? That's part of these films charm. You know, oh, we, that's that's absolutely. what Giallo fans kind of expect. It's staying true to the formula, staying true to the format. Um, and yeah, Bird with a Crystal Plumage. Um, it is it is quite a reveal, actually, at the end. I actually just want to quickly talk about the lead character. Uh, played by an actor called Tony Mazzanti, uh, an American-Italian. Um, yeah. I found him very likeable. I, I, I actually liked this guy in, he in, was, in this role. He was a very successful actor at the mm. time, or he'd come off a film that I think Dario wrote. And I don't know if you know the history, but they did not get on very well at all, Dario oh. and Mazzanti. Well, actually, that brings me to my next part. I did read something just a little while ago that apparently he was a very intense actor and apparently he'd show up at Argento's apartment at all, all, all hours of the morning slash night to discuss characterization, and he got, Argento got annoyed with it. Yeah, I think it was 3am on a Saturday night and yeah. Argento just flipped. Uh, yeah. Reading an interview afterwards, many years afterwards, uh, Tony Mazzanti said that there was never a problem between the two. Okay. So it's funny how you've got two different 
yeah. you know, two different aspects to what went on. But Dario said he was very, uh, what's the word, very hard to get on with. Yeah, yeah, it's, um, I mean... To kind, of, honest, kind of too big for his boots. Yeah, he probably, he, he clearly, from the sounds of things, took acting very, very seriously and wanted to give the best he could. Um, but at the same time, you know, you've got to kind of uh, respect one's privacy, haven't you? Um, yeah, that, as Jenko said, he was very self-centred, yeah. very egotistical. Mm. So, you know, and... Because yeah. I know that again, Argento is actually kind of a self-confessed uh, misogynist, isn't he? In a way. I don't know about self-confessed, <laughs> yeah, you, you can see it through his films. Yeah, yeah. For I, sure. Um, it, what Argento's always said is he loves, like we all do, he loves a pretty lady. And that mix with death and blood, Yeah, he said is something... And if you notice, with his kill scenes... You could paint a picture to them. You could pause them, and, and they're like paintings. Yeah, yeah, they are. You know, and he does that, and I think that is possibly his forte. That is the one thing that's common in his films. And secondary to acting, because he said he's not overly, you know, bothered about acting ability. He said as long as he gets those death scenes right. Yeah. And it does come through in his films. Well, his films are certainly, you know, especially going to the later films uh, as well, very notable for their their murder set pieces. And he's a very kind of experimental director. You know, in many of his films, you'd notice him adopting kind of new techniques and so forth. You know, much like Hitchcock did back in the day. Hitchcock, you know, one of the most influential, some would say the most influential film director of all time. And Argento just adopted so many clever techniques... Um, I think with, with his films, I think the difference with Hitchcock was, and I think it's been picked up on, is Hitchcock was more suspense. Yes, oh, where yes. Dario was more about the stylized uh, death scenes, like I just mentioned. Yeah, yeah. But it is a good comparison because, yeah. It, and then you got De Palma, or I, I would lump in with the three of them as well. Yeah, De Palma's obviously very much uh, an ardent Hitchcock fan. It's obviously very noticeable, isn't it, in, in, in many many of his films, especially in movies like Dress to Kill and uh, even Sisters um, yes. with Margot uh, Kidder. Um, That's one I've recently seen for the first time, and I loved it. Yeah, I was quite late to that film, actually. I only watched that last year for the first time. Um, but yeah, quickly as well, uh, with Bird the Crystal Plumage, as well, I didn't know this, but the bird actually, the bird species, um, because it all comes around to a bird near the end of the film. You think to yourself, you get like 80 minutes into the film, you're thinking, why is this called Bird with a Crystal Plumage? This is a weird title. And then it becomes apparent near the end. Um, is But apparently, uh, the Hornetus Navalis, which is actually the name of the bird, isn't actually a real bird. Uh, the bird oh, we actually right. see in the film is actually a grey-crowned crane, but that sounds nowhere near as uh, exotic. But it's another thing that he does well, Argento, is so clever, you know, to, to link that to an animal, to to where it is in the film, and then they have, you know, the wiseness to realise what's going on. It's in the background, and yeah. the killer actually lives by a zoo. Yeah. It's so clever. Yeah. So clever. It's we something did... that probably wasn't done up until that time. No, it was certainly, yeah... Yeah, it's quite. It certainly is quite unique. I mean, the thing is, I I, I love the titles for the, a lot of these jellos. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you know, where do you start? You got like, uh, oh, what is it? Your voice is a locked room, and only I have the key. 
That's one of my favourites. Um, you know, what a title. Uh, I mean, there's so, there's, there's so many. We could be here all day. You know, The Night Evelyn Came From The Grave, which is more of kind of a gothic giallo. But, um, I mean, yeah. this, this film was a success, wasn't it? I mean, this film, from what I know, actually played in a Milan cinema for three and a half years because it was so popular. And um, I believe its budget was actually uh, about 500,000. And it actually a made million, a million yeah. at the yep. box office. Well, it came out and it was received in Italy. At first, it was quite lukewarmly received. But like Halloween, through word of mouth, it took off. Yeah. It ended up number 13 in the Italian box office of 1970 to 1971. Mm. And funnily enough, there was a giallo investigation of a citizen above suspicion by Elio Petri that actually finished above it. Okay. But it was it was credited as being a success. And on the back of that, then it went to America and then it just took off. Yeah. And obviously, you know, became one of the most, certainly I think one of the most, it, it, it did a great job, you know, of, of essentially popular. Like you said, we had we had Blood and Black Lace released in 64, which is actually my all-time favourite giallo. I absolutely love Blood and Black Lace. Um, yeah, that, again, that could be a good starting point into the giallo for some people. Yeah, a very influential film. I think everyone from the likes of what I've read, Quentin Tarantino, Martin Scorsese, actually cited that film um, as an inspiration, one of the films that helped them, you know, get into cinema. Uh, so we're going to quickly go into a spoiler bit here, actually. So there are going to be spoilers coming. Um, I'd imagine probably a lot of people listening to this probably have seen the film. Um, but Eva Renzi, in the big plot twist at the end, turns out to be the killer. Um, that... Uh, it wasn't actually an attempted murder. It was actually a husband that was actually trying to take the knife away from her. Um, so there's this yeah. big twist. Now, from what I've read, Eva Renzi actually considered her role in this film as career suicide. She actually yes, hated... I, I, I actually got that written down, yeah. Yeah, and I don't know why, because I think she had... I think she's superb in the film. Yeah. And I think she had the ability that she could have gone on and been another Edwidge Finesh or Barbara Boucher. Yeah, but she she says it was career suicide. I, I think she didn't want to make thrillers after this. Yeah, and I think that's what held her back a bit. I think the the problem she had uh, wasn't like the film in general. It was the kind of crazed reveal at the end where she's kind of like I mean she proper goes proper goes psychotic um, near the end of the film with the maniacal laughing and all this and that. You know, it's it's very kind of. Um, you know, this isn't a nitpick or anything like that. It's very kind of like, you know, forced and out there. And I think that she absolutely hated doing that. Um, See, to she's... me, I, I think that's superb. I think she comes across uh, as what she's playing, psychotic. I, mm. She's one of the real pluses of the film for me. Yeah. I mean, Even though she has not got a load of screen time. but No. No, I mean, there's that kind of like exposition bit, which again is very reminiscent of Psycho, not to draw any too many parallels yeah. to Hitchcock, but obviously the big twist, uh, you know, spoiler alert, I'm assuming everyone listening has seen Psycho. If not, shame on you. Um, with Psycho, obviously the big twist, Norman Bates being the mother, and then we get the whole kind of like why he's doing it, etc. And that becomes very much a staple with Jallo, doesn't it? There's that quick kind of final scene of the film where there's kind of an exposition thing. Yeah, yeah. He, he, like I say, he's done it in Four Flies. Uh, he's done it. I'm trying to think if he's done it later on in his career. But there's a, there's a, yeah, it happens a lot in these yellows. Yeah. 
So you get it's like, like so it kind of yeah, one scene, isn't it? And they're, they're basically telling us in that one scene as to why she's the killer. And it was the painting, wasn't it? I believe she was actually the girl that was uh, almost killed, almost murdered. It obviously psychologically scarred her. And when she saw the painting, which was actually a painting based on her um, ordeal, it triggered her. Yeah, and again, I think that's very logical in the way he's gone about it. Mm. Because it could, that could have happened, you know. He, he does not cheat in this film, and I, I love him for it. Yeah. Um, did you notice in that first scene as well, which obviously we get the conclusion at the end, that he deliberately puts the husband in black yes. and the female in white? Oh, yes, to yes. totally throw you off. Yeah. And it works. It totally throws you. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's clever. I mean, I actually watched this for my fiance. She'd never seen it before. Uh, we actually watched it together last year, and she's usually very good at working out plot twists. Hardly, she's like Miss Marple and Columbo, kind of rolled into one. And yeah. <laughs> uh, she didn't actually guess it. Not up until the last ten minutes of the movie. But the fact of the matter is, there's not many suspects left anyway. So if it gets to the point in the movie where there's no one really to suspect, but so yeah, she she didn't really work it out. Until you know, close near the end of the film, and that. Um, I think they try to to. There's a couple of characters that they sort of try to maybe. It could be them. Yeah, there's one guy you know? who um, his character name is escaping me. He's the one that takes the tape. Um, oh, right. And he's the one that actually ends up with a knife in his back near the end. Is that the guy who um, follows them and almost kills him with a meat cleaver? Uh, no, that's the guy with the yellow, isn't it? Wearing the yellow. Yeah, sorry, yeah. Oh, and that brings um, me on to that point, actually. Um, that whole scene was like... I actually felt like I was watching a different movie. Yeah, apparently some people say that it was shot maybe a half after the after the film to, to add filler to it. See, to me, that I, I love that scene. Yeah. I think that's one of the standout scenes. Obviously, you can't beat his, the way he stalks women, Dario... Yeah film stalking women and all that but to me that stands out and a little tidbit is that guy um was actually in the man who knew too much i think he dies in alfred oh, hitchcock's film hitchcock, yeah and of course he was barlow in salem's lot and you yeah. can tell by this by his face features yeah yeah i didn't know that about barlow but yeah man who knew too much that's obviously the 1956 version isn't it yeah, because I, mean, yeah. I think hitchcock may have actually been the first director to ever actually remake his own film because the original That's was a right. 30s film, and then 56 right, with, yeah. Um, yeah, James Stewart. But yeah, I remember watching that scene, because obviously the scene goes on for a little while and that, but I was like, I was watching it, I was like, what's going on here? This is like, I felt like I was watching kind of an action movie for for a few minutes and that. Yeah, I get that, I get that. I I don't know, I just seem to love that that scene, because yeah. you've got the old suspense where he's chasing them around. Yeah. It's, it's like a car park full of buses, or... Yeah, that's it. It's... So uh, and then you've got a little bit of comedy release relief then where he walks in and it's full of prize fighters all in the same jacket. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> I think that's Dario like basically having a bit of a, a laugh at you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he he was a guy. That guy ends up with a knife in the back because you know for a little while you know he doesn't have much of the way of screen time. But towards the end of the movie, before you see the knife in his back, you think, oh god, he's you know he's the killer. Um, you know, it's uh, it's really well-made solid thriller, and I think it's quite a debut. I think when it comes to horror movie directors out there making their debuts, I think Bird with the Crystal Plumage is one of the better examples. I think it's up there, isn't it? I think um, 
in term it wasn't Mario Barber's first film, but his first Jalo to me, I I think was before Blood and Blacklist. I think it was the girl who, do, who the knew girl too much. Knew too much. Sixty three, wasn't it? I think that's a good, you know. Yeah, but then it's not his first film, so. No, I mean that's obviously cited as being like the first true Jalo. That is, you know, that film, you know, very Hitchcockian again in its tone. I mean, even the title, oh, the yeah. Girl Who Knew Too Much, is an allude to the Man Who Knew Too Much. Um, oh yeah, with the, all in, you know, you've got the black and white as well. It's very Hitchcockian. Yeah. Uh, but I think that's a good uh, opening starter for, for a Jalo film. Oh yeah. But yeah, but this film, like you say, I don't think he could have made a better film to open up his account with. No. It's, it's had... It's hard to find faults with this film. No, it really it's, is. it's stylis- stylistically, it's very efficient. It's you know, it's 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 definitely directed, and uh, it would certainly make my top five Argento films. Um, you know, we'll talk about the other Argento films in future podcasts. Um, but yeah, Bird with the Crystal Plumage is is in my top five, um, and he certainly made a name for himself uh, with with this movie. So um, yeah. I mean, I also for me, for me, I'd say it's a top ten. Okay, Not, it doesn't quite make my top five. Okay, um, but we'll get into that hopefully in another episode. Yeah, <laughs> um, but yeah, there's just so many jellies out. There. You know, like we said before, you know, the seventies was just the golden age of them. You know, Sergio Martino was churning them out, and you know, Dario Argento, and there's many others. There's there's many other jellies that are kind of obscure ones that kind of flew under the radar. Uh, there's one of which I'll just briefly mention, and that is the house. The house were laughing windows. That has got to be one of my top five of all time, Jalo. It's it's yeah, and again, it gets back to the weird the weird titles. Just just the titles. Oh, that film has got adopt. a fat shit crazy ending. It's fantastic. It's it's yeah, honestly so underrated. Yeah, I agree. It's so underrated. And it's I believe with Martino films. Well, the director, Pew Piavati, that was the only film he ever directed solo, wasn't it? I think that was the only ever movie that he... Or the only yeah. Giallo, sorry, the only Giallo he directed. I think he may have done one in the 90s. I'd have to look that up. But I think he's done one in the 90s. But it wasn't, obviously, you know, one of the 70s or 80s Giallo. Okay. But he sort of went with the genre again in bits and pieces but that was his main you know that's probably top of his uh, directorial list to be honest fantastic film yeah it's one that i only um, discovered a few years ago and i uh, watched it i'm hoping for a blu-ray release at some point um, oh i think we all are we all are with that one you know but i want to bring up um what you thought of Susie Kendall in a role in this? Oh yes, I actually did mean to mention her earlier. Um, just after I mentioned Tony Mazzanti, I meant to get onto Susie Kendall. Uh, yes, yeah, Susie Kendall was perfectly fine. I actually really like the scene where she's in a, a state of crisis, where she's actually on the the killer's target list. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, you don't actually find a huge amount of British stars in Giallo's, do you? There's not a huge amount of them. No. I think she's well known for being the girl in peril. Yeah. She's done films like Assault, Torso, uh, Spasmo. Yeah. I don't think she's got a lot to do in this film r- up until the end. I think the ending where she does play that girl in, in peril. Yeah. It, she does very well. But Dario sort of don't give her a lot to do in the first two thirds of the film. No, she's, yeah, you're right. She doesn't really add, she really adds nothing to the plot. She has nothing to. to She's there, to I think, for I can. Yeah, if I'm honest. Yeah, well, yeah, she is. I mean, she was a big kind of, big, you know, kind of sex icon, if you will, of the certainly of the sixties. 
um, yeah, Su Susie Kendall and that. But uh, yeah, like you said, her, her character isn't really kind of detriment to the plot and stuff. I love that whole, yeah, her in crisis towards the end. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, was it her or was it Melissa George in Frightmare? Frightmare was 74. Susan George. Susan George. Oh, sorry. Oh, no, yeah. no, no. No, was she in Frightmare? No, I think it was Susan George, actually. Yeah, I think, I think it was might, Susan I George. I think you might be talking about um, My Screaming Marianne. Uh, no, there was a British British slasher movie released in oh, 74. Oh, I know what you're on about. You're on about Fright from 1971, Susan George. Oh, did I say Frightmare? Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, sorry, there's, I meant Fright, yeah. There's a couple of Frightmares. There's one from 74, Pete Walker, and there's another one that was done in the 80s, which is just your run-of-the-mill slasher. Yeah. But the one you're on about is Fright. Fright, yeah, that's it. It was actually, it uh, actually got a Blu-ray release, I believe, just last year as well. Yeah, I, I bought it as well. Yeah. There's... Another one, not to go too much off topic, but there's another one called And Soon the Darkness. That's another good one. Yes, hang on. And Soon the... and, and See No Evil as well from 1971. Yeah, with Mia Farrow. Yeah, that's a great yeah, film. Yeah, I've seen that again. That's pretty underrated. It doesn't really get talked about much. No, it doesn't. See No, no Evil. Um, and I'll tell you what, right? Again, completely getting off topic here. Um, Film from, I believe, 1965. It's a really good black and white psychological thriller, and it's called Bunny Lake is Missing. Right. I've heard of it. I, I, I haven't seen that one. That's, that's, again, quite Hitchcockian in its tone. Um, it's a psychological thriller starring Keir Delir, who went on to star in Black Christmas and 2001 Space Odyssey, of course. Um, right, I'll have to put that back on my radar then because yeah, Bunny no, Lake I, I, is missing. It's a good, good site again. Doesn't really get talked about much, but it's a good, good thriller from the sixties. Um, yeah, I like a nice thriller. So this. yeah, I think we'd, I think we'd agree that Biblical Crystal Plumage. It's a, it's a solid, it's a solid giallo. Uh, certainly did a great job of you know making Argento a name to be uh, reckoned with. I think it's yeah an outstanding first film in it. Yeah. In every way, really, every way. It's it's well written. It's superbly di directed. Yeah. And let's not forget that he didn't know what he was doing. No. The the rushes come back of the, of the of the film, and they wanted to pull him. The top bigwigs wanted to pull Dario off the film, and his dad, who was producing the film as well, went out on a limb for him and said, "Look, you know, he totally went out on a limb. So it could have all." Not you know could have all ended before it started for him. Yeah, it's it's crazy. I mean, I think the whole film was just shot in six weeks, and I think I read actually that uh, five days to write the script. The whole thing was actually written, or was it three days? It was either three or five days. Um, yeah, you know the script was written very very quickly. And when they first screened the film, Dario was that scared that he didn't show up. <laughs> he was that scared he didn't show up, and then. The guy, I forget the name of the guy, but the guy who's actually, you know, the big wig, he sort of just slagged Dario off to hell, saying this is this is not going to make anything. And then he proved everyone wrong, didn't he? Yeah, he the did. Yeah. But another thing I wanted to get into was a year or two after this, he went on, obviously, to complete the Animal Trilogy. Did you know that he was set up to make a UK Hammer film of Dracula? Yes, I did. Yeah, I actually read Can that quite some time. Can you imagine what that film yeah, would have been? God knows. Um, it's weird, really, oh. because didn't he also do? Didn't he also do like Hitchcock, which was a he TV did, yes. movie? And that film is really underrated. Yeah, from two thousand five, I believe. Mm. 
So yeah, um, that w- the, the Hammer Dracula that would have been something surely. <laughs> I know I know he did do Dracula later on in his career, which is absolute rubbish. But can you imagine that with the UK budget, you know, big budget behind it? Yeah, I think we got robbed. I think we got robbed there. Yeah, it would have been certainly intriguing to see. Um, now I haven't actually met Argento myself. Have you? Have you met him? No, I. To be honest with you, I've never done the, con- uh, you know, the convention scene. Okay, because he was something I would do. It was supposed to be at Horicon. Uh, I think it was three years ago, and he had to pull out. Lamberto Barva was there, of course. You know, Blade in the Dark, Macabre, and Demons. He was there, but oh, but Argento awesome. had to pull out because of surgery. But he was there the following year. But I wasn't able to go. But I have got an autograph of him. My mate actually got me an autograph from. I think was that Argento. up in Sheffield? That was yeah, Horicon at Sheffield. Yeah. Yeah, I did see a YouTuber actually meet him. He put it up on YouTube where he met him and that. Yeah, he's quite. Uh, not to like... He's quite an. He's quite an odd-looking guy, isn't he, Argento? Yeah. He's got a yeah. very. He almost looks like. I don't want to sound harsh. He almost looks like kind of Frankenstein's monster-esque, doesn't he? <laughs> He is yeah. a very distinct. You can't confuse Argento with anyone else, can you? No, um, no. But and uh, unless thinking of it, look at the two um, girls he produced, Asia yeah. and Fiore. Yeah, Asia for me is just stunning. <laughs> even even now, you know, I know she's she has uh, gone through a tattoo phase and she smokes like hell, but to me, she I still find her attractive. Yeah, yeah, she was all she was in. Uh, Land of the Dead, wasn't she? That's right, yeah. I think that's a pretty yeah. good job in that. Yeah. And obviously, yeah, he's directed her on a, on a few occasions. Um, but he's just gone through that old... Um, with the Me Too, wasn't it? That young boy come forward and yeah. claimed that she slept with him when he was underage and all that. So you don't really hear a lot of her now. I don't know. Why couldn't I meet women like that when I was young? Exactly. I said I would have... You know, I, I wouldn't want paying for it. I know. I think she... I think she paid him over a million dollars. Oh, my God. I'd be paying... Well, no, not a million. I'd be paying her a million if I had it. (laughs) (laughs) Not with the wage I'm on. But, uh, (laughs) yeah, so I think we'll we'll wrap things up for now. Um, Yeah, I've got one more thing. Okay. One last thing. Um, Obviously, now Dario's got himself involved in a project that's going to start up very soon called Dark Glasses or Black Glasses. Yeah. I wondered what your thoughts are on that, just... Quickly. What um, Argento's like return to the giallo? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm intrigued. I'm, you know, I'd love to see Argento go back to his roots, which he did do with giallo, with Adrian That's Brody, right. which I'll admit I've only seen once. I didn't like it, but I've only seen it it's, once. That, that film's a comedy, mind. If you look at it as a comedy, yeah. then you'll you might get something out of it. Um, but no, I'm intrigued. I want to see because there are still giallos here and there. There's films still that still come out to this day that are clearly influenced by giallo, and you've had some films that are very much kind of tributes to giallo. You've had Francesca, which is an Argentinian uh, giallo. Um, the director also directed Sono Profondo and stuff. But giallo is pretty much kind of a thing of the past, and I'd like to see a really good solid giallo turned out. I'm not a big fan of these ones that try to recreate it like Amir. Oh, yes, yeah, I've seen that, yeah. I'm just not a big fan of them. It tries to be... The problem is with films like that, I think, sometimes. They're just kind of artsy to the point of being pretentious. Yeah, yeah. And then you've got the other, uh, like, comedy giallo of The Editor, which I've seen bits of, I haven't seen I'll admit, I enjoyed that. I'm not... Yeah, I'm not ashamed. I enjoyed it. 
it is kind of a spoof. It is kind of basically like a parody of all it. You know, it basically just plays out all them little conventions that we know, and it's kind of winking at the audience as it does so. And I'll admit, I did enjoy it. Um, That's something I need to see, you know, in full. I think. Yeah, I don't treat it as a serious because I tell you what, it does right, and I won't go into spoilers. But there's a certain aspect of the film, quite late on in the film, that really does take the mick and mock something that is very often seen in Jallows. And right, you'll be watching okay. it and you're thinking, yeah, it does make a point here. Um, the whole kind of, like, the nonsensical things we get in Jallows sometimes. Yeah, and this yeah. film addresses that. Um, but sort of I, like a parody, you mean? Yeah, I, I I enjoyed it. Now, admittedly, I've only seen it once. I don't know if I'd like it as much second time round. Um, but yeah, so so no. As for Argento returning, I say bring it on. At the end of the day, he's established his name. You know, Argento doesn't have to make great films anymore. You know, he he's made he's got some great films to his name. But if he could pull another one off, um, yeah, yeah, I'd love it. But I think as long as it's entertaining, I think with every Argento film, even including Dracula, mind, yeah. there's at least one good scene yeah. to where you can say, oh, my God, that's, you know, and Sleepless is, is perfect. Sleepless needs got... to be seen by more people, I think. That whole killing on the train yeah. is, is just, you know, where you've got the rain. Yeah. I think that's he's back to his best. Yeah. Even if it's only for 20 minutes of that film. Yeah. So yeah, anyone listening to this now has not seen Sleepless, go out and get it. Yeah, so Sleepless is yeah, Sleepless is um, I think probably the best in my opinion. It's the best of his later films. Um, yeah, by a mile. By a yeah. mile. So uh, yeah, uh, that's pretty much it for today then. Um, Bird with the Crystal Plumage, solid giallo, good directorial debut. Um, clearly, you know, helped shape and mould. The giallo as as we know it so uh yeah thanks a lot to everyone that listened uh thanks for being here darren yes i enjoyed it would uh happily do all this again and uh yeah we'll uh, be back again soon to haunt you and torment you take care take care everyone <laughs>